Yeah. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Wonderful. Wow. Now that's, that's serious right there. That's commitment. Well, it's good to be with you guys this uh, morning, Sunday morning. For some reason, I feel like I'm either hearing a pinging sound, but uh, maybe you're not picking that up. Um, I just want to appeal to you a little bit differently today. Uh, I know we all showed up for various reasons, some out of habit just over the years. We've gone to church every Sunday and it would feel a little awkward not being in church. Others of you may be here because you're looking for something. I venture to guess that most all of us uh, brought some level of baggage in, kind of like a grocery bag when you're checking out and sooner or later that thing gets heavy or, you know, you either have a light bag, but some of us have stuff just going on and we would never want anyone else to know about it, but it's kind of weird what happens when God calls you out. This whole idea of growing up. Don't know about you, but I literally despise it when someone tells me these words, grow up. Put yourself in that place. Anyone ever told you to grow up before? I think it's humbling to be a 20-year-old, 25, 35, 45, 65-year-old, and you still haven't grown up. You still haven't matured. And no one's talking about your age or your body chemistry or your physical abilities or inabilities or usually talking about your intellect or your behavior. Grow up. So today I want to start this morning... Uh, as we continue on in this Stand Up So You Don't Fall series. And I kind of get to pitch hit in between this place of what I almost call weirdness because it's one of those weird messages to some degree because it touches on those places that I know for me it's tough. Now if if I'm just being totally honest with you without trying to promote the, you know, abnormal or the drama, I am a prideful man. I really am. No hidden agenda. I'm, I have a lot of pride. Now, there's some good pride. There's some of that pride that I learned in the military. Attention to detail. We, not me, cover your team's back. You're never in this alone. Never leave a man behind. But then there's that pride that kind of comes along where it really is all about me. I always say, if you want to know what a guy is like who's married, don't ask him, ask his wife. Ask his kids. If I really want to know what you're like under pressure, I should ask one of your customers. Or I should ask one of your coworkers who actually despises you. Because if you really want the truth, you don't get the truth from someone who's going to be a cohort and come alongside and say, yeah, that person's awesome. It's like those references, right? I put you down for a reference. I want you to say some nice things about me. Now, interesting enough, I had a situation that happened last week to me. (laughs) My sister in Chicago puts me down as a professional reference for a position that she's applying for, and she's in that final stage. And she says that she worked with me in my ministry. And I'm like, you are so stone cold out of your mind. You want me to get on the phone and validate that you did X, Y, and Z. And I went to my wife and we talked about this and I just kind of, I groveled with that. Because if you put yourself in that position, and I'm sure you've had a situation where a sibling has come along or a very close friend has put you on the spot, literally thrown you under the bus and caused you to have to make a tough decision, an issue of your character, 
is now about to be tested. One thing I do know is this, is that all things end in judgment. All things. So I'll start with this one question today before we get into Colossians. Very simple, not a trick question. Is leadership important? I'll ask again, is leadership important? I'm really not looking for like a camaraderie of the whole sanctuary. Yes, it is, and we'll show you how. I'm not asking for that. I'm just asking you, do you truly believe leadership is important? You know, I used to go to uh, Theo Lacey up in Orange as a chaplain and teach Bible studies to inmates, a couple stories into the ground. And You know, what's really interesting is that gangs have leadership. Did you know that? How do you know who's the leader in the gang? Yeah? Sometimes it's the smallest guy, but he talks the biggest. Biggest bark, almost no bite. Some of the worst things that happened in the history of mankind have all been started on a two-word question. You down? Do you know what that question means? And the person always asking you down is never really down. They're just looking for someone dumber than them to be down, to, to take the fall for them. Is that true? It's just a weird position to be in. If someone's going to call out your manhood or your motherhood or your wifehood or whatever hood, you down, they're daring you to do something that you know you really shouldn't be doing. So that we pridefully kind of engage and have to prove that we are a leader. We are tough. We are strong. We're resolved. Hmm. I remember in business, so much so, uh, the sales department is well known for saying, cash is king, as some sort of a motivator. Go out and make it happen. Do you know your gifts and talents, you don't even own them? I mean, that's a bizarre thing to say, but I'm really good. I know, Tim, you're an excellent architect, but not even you created that gift. How amazing is that? God planted that in you, and then you kind of took off and developed it. That's really awesome. Some of you are gifted athletes, others mathematicians, others of you very creative, musicians, otherwise. We, we have all these gifts and talents, but not even we produce those. So is leadership important? And if you don't grasp that, you're not going to grasp today's message. You, you just won't get it. Because to you, it'll be just more mumbo-jumbo that I've seen in the Scriptures, and somehow I've heard the Bible, and I show up to church, I sit in my same spot, and if I were to do a survey, how many of you are sitting plus-minus three or four seats from where you sat last week? Raise your hand. Yeah, we are, we are somewhat of creatures of habit. We, we kind of find our place and we kind of sit down there. We kind of navigate to that spot and yet the Apostle Paul takes us out of that place of comfort. And I want to talk to you a little bit about what Paul wrote to the Colossians for. Because there were two competing priorities in life, two clashing worldviews. And one was that Christ is completely adequate. And human philosophy is not. Now, it doesn't go to say that if you have an undergrad degree or a master's degree or a doctorate degree that your degrees are worthless. It is, this has nothing to do with that. What it has to do is with a conventional thinking that I've got this. I've got it all figured out. And if you're like me, sooner or later you've learned something. You've learned to compensate a certain way and it really isn't fluid it isn't efficient. 
And the best way to kind of figure that out is two years ago, you may recall, as a matter of fact, this month, two years ago, I had a violent severing of my Achilles tendon. I remember it like it was yesterday. Some say, well, how did that happen? Well, in football. But it was a non-contact injury, which makes it even worse. Because it would be better if I said, you know, I was running across the middle and I got hit by four guys and I drug them in, snapped my Achilles, and I ran in and I spiked everybody. And then I said, oh, you know. It would be kind of cool to talk the story up, but that wasn't my story. The story was really this, is that I went to the line of scrimmage and I took one step forward and heard a loud explosion just like a tire. And I knew immediately when I heard it. I never really moved. I never really picked up my foot. I just heard an explosion and I went straight down. There was so much energy with my pushing off that I just didn't even push forward. I pushed straight into the ground. I'll never forget that. And I was in that cast and I had surgery and I never really did have physical therapy. So my body, because I love the gym, I refuse to be down too long and that's probably one of my problems. Take on too much. My body just started to overcompensate. So now I'm two years removed. I'm in physical therapy. And my therapist says, it, it's a miracle that you're walking right now. It's as if your muscles say, I refuse to be down. And when I told that to my wife, she just laughed because that's like my MO. I refuse to be on the sidelines too long. You know, the guy who has you know, a, you know, appendix removed at halftime, comes out to finish the game, you know, just kind of like, I can do it, coach, put me in. But it's an amazing thing to see where Paul starts from this argument, this, this complete discussion that Christ is adequate. He's all you're ever going to need. He's all you're ever going to need. And then he further takes that into the next dialogue. So listen here, I'm going to read this here, and this is from Colossians 1.24. And the reason why I didn't give you notes today is really because I wanted this to be more of a, of a dialogue, a reasoning. I wanted to appeal to you a little different than we're accustomed to. So rather than you to participate and go to the end of the story or try to fill in and try and guess particular adjectives on how you're going to fill in certain blanks, I didn't want that to be a distraction to you today. So that's my motive. I just want to be very clear about that. Verse 24 says, Now I rejoice, and this is Paul writing to the Colossians, I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. We'll come back to that. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present you the word of God in its fullness. We'll come back to that. The mystery that has been kept hidden from ages and generations but is disclosed to the Lord's people. It's now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. I'm going to stop there for just a minute because it's this whole idea about being mature. Many of us have this uh, experience. How many of you have ever purchased a vehicle before? Okay, so let's go back there for a second. Sometimes I say, in order to understand the full story, you go all the way to the end of the page. And to make this a little bit more real, have you ever been in a presentation before, maybe at work, and you you just kind of bypass all the fluff, you go right to the end? What are you looking for? Usually price. Cost. What's it going to cost me? What's involved, what's, it, what's involved for me to actually engage in that? 
And in the same scenario, when you buy a car, there's all these terms and conditions and legal language and very fine small print that you know you need, like a 10x you know, magnifying glass to really understand what they're saying because you're signing away your IRAs and your Social Security and you know, everything else and all your investments that you just don't know about. And if you take that back, you know, all this compounding interest and all this language that you never knew you signed up for. And at the end, they say, you know, initial all these blanks, and they're just ripping off to you, right? And you see the percentage, and, you and you're just going down to the bottom. I just want to know, what is it going to cost me? So, paper airplanes came in, $300, walk out, $30,000. Okay, I'm good with that, you know, only 3000 installment payments, and you're good to go. But we go to the end of the story. Some of us, we, we hear the same thing about our child's testimony. They come in, and they're screaming, and you know the dialogue. You hear something, What's that? And what do they reply? Nothing, because nothing just happened. Really loud, right? So someone's crying and they're speaking in like kangaroo and I don't get it. And you're like, all right, slow down. Go to the end. What happened? And they like to fill in with, starting with, I'm innocent. See, what happened was I was innocent and I was just sitting there and, and my sister came by and slapped me in the face with a broom and, and then made me eat it. And then, you know, all the, you're like, what? Just go to the end of the story. What happened? And then you backtrack from there. What? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So what Paul begins is he says, now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. I love this fact that Paul acknowledges the fact that his suffering isn't done in vain. I don't know about you, but when you stand up for someone or you labor for someone or you're going to be hurt for someone, you hope it's for a good reason. You hope that they actually fulfill the mission for which they were called. Because it would be really a raw deal if you stood up for someone and then in the back end, they kind of threw you under the bus. They just kind of, you know, ducked out at the very back end. And they didn't fulfill that mission. But Paul says, listen, I rejoice now. Now, either Paul's really kind of a psycho guy right now in prison, and he's saying, I rejoice in my suffering. I love this. I enjoy the hammer being plunged into my bare hand because I am man and I love pain. No, that wasn't his message. The reality is Paul is saying that he gets the bigger picture here. He says in verse 25, I become its servant by the commission God gave me to present you the word in its fullness. What Paul understood was that just like you and I, there's something to be said about putting all the blocks together. About when we walk out of here today that you don't just get part of the story, you get the full story. That Christ is king. And not only is he king, you have a relationship and a responsibility to him. But not only do you have a responsibility to him, you have a responsibility to one another. Wow, wait a second, I have a responsibility. I thought I just had to come to church. I thought when I got to heaven, I can just say, I went to church. I was a religious person. I'm just religious. You know, I once counseled a very young couple in premarital counseling. And this is really kind of an amazing thing because marriage, one of the most important things that we can make in terms of decisions in our lives, we don't have a society nor a culture that promotes healthy development of that relationship before we get into it. You know, when you go to buy a car, do you just show up and buy the first car they throw at you? Have you ever been on that lot and they're like, you know, I want a red, I want da-da-da-da, you come over with your requirements and they only meet half the requirements and they say, we don't have that, but we do have this. And they try and push you in that direction. You're like, wait, wait a second, I really wanted this. So in the same way, I'm, I'm counseling this couple when they were very young, they were both 20 years old and 
Really kind of interesting, the, the, uh, the groom-to-be was an interesting guy. Very, her, 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 me chop wood, woman, stay home, cook bear, you know, the kind of thing. And I'm like, okay, dude, I'm going to have a good time with you, right? So my style of premarital counseling is more like boot camp, you know, particularly for that age group. I'm actually trying to talk you out of marriage. So that by the time you finish the, the actual requirements, you make an informed, clear, unabiding decision that this is what I want. I'm choosing willfully to engage here. Now, what if we took it a step farther? What if we took it a step farther and said, even in dating, what if you had to have a license to date? How wild would that be? Like you get a marriage license to get married. What if you had to have to go through like certain level of classes and relationship building and to just date? Every dad is like, I'm down. Yeah, I'm down with that one. Yeah, amen. (laughs) Yeah. Think about what that effect would have on culture, on people in general. Paul is saying, listen, I want to teach you the full gospel. I don't want you to come and just get little desserts and little snacks about the gospel of Christ. Jesus wasn't just a good guy. He wasn't just some normal historical figure. He wasn't just some insignificant dude. He wasn't the man upstairs. He wasn't like the, you know, the frosty beard, you know, Duck Dynasty guy that's just like, you know, launching down missiles and, you know, lightning bolts when you step out of place. No, he's God. And he's to be reverenced. He's to be in awe. He's to be worshipped. And there is no replacement. There is no version of him that you get to pick from. Either you select the entire faith in Christ or you don't. And what he's saying is that because of this lack, their culture had this competing priority. We go right back to the beginning that Christ is adequate, human philosophy. Christ is adequate, human philosophy. Little by little, we start to dumb down that Christ is adequate and we add in a little more human philosophy, human reasoning. And there are a whole lot of people that we know full well in this world that are very influential in their speech. It's a sad, maybe commentary to some degree that we actually have the names of churches, that we don't know the names of churches, but we know who pastors there. That is mind-boggling to me. What church do you go to? They don't even mention the church. Oh, it's uh, Pastor so-and-so. As if that person is the church. We take more pride in who we receive in affiliation with more than we have a clear understanding of who Christ is. This ought not be. This ought not be. I'm saying that it would be no different if we said we're going to have an afternoon lunch picnic and we're serving Gerber. We have every persuasion of Gerber. Anyone out there want some peaches and, you know, some peas? You know, we just have all this baby Gerber food lined up and not a single one of you, you'd look at that and you'd be like, where are the babies? But the truth is, is some of us in some places of our lives, we've never really advanced beyond baby food. We've just just really kind of suckled on milk an entire life, and we thought that that was sufficient. I have a very close friend in Nigeria, Africa, that is very much a strong partner with our ministry. He told me years ago, he said, you know what's really interesting about Christians, Christ followers in America? He said, the mature Christian versus the immature Christian, we look at things like service or tithing or, or hospitality or all kinds of other ministries and gifts within the, within the body of Christ. And 
The immature Christian only looks at what Christ says and says, I will fulfill that requirement to its minimum. I tithe my 10%. And this, is, this was the argument of the Pharisees. We tithe. Let me just do what I think is the minimum requirement because that's what God says. But the mature Christian looks at that as, a, this is what I get to do. And I will do so much more than that because of him and who I do it for. Does that make sense to you? I mean, you wouldn't imagine coming to the altar, bridegroom, groom, bride, and you stand there and you make these vows and you these promises and it's such a poo-poo moment. Oh my gosh, we're going to have such a wonderful life. And I'm like, shut up. <laughs> you know, get your priorities and your reality and your perspective honed in. Yes, there's a time for joy and, and you know, glorifying the moment and saying that this is an awesome thing. But there's also a time to say, listen, it's not what others have painted this picture to be. You know, honey, I'm, I love you, and, but I love you 82.3% of the time. The other percentages, I have to divide them up against, you know, my other priorities. I can't imagine that would float with any of you women in here. I'm just saying. Uh, and then vice versa, that same argument wouldn't fly with any of you men in here. You expect full commitment from your spouse, your Dating partner, your customers, you expect full commitment. So why not equal, if not more, commitment to serving God? Why not? I mean, the question is, is what's holding you back today? So here's what I want you to do. I'm going to give you about 90 seconds. And if I get this earpiece to act right with me here. She's driving me nuts. Yeah, give me a handheld. That'll work. I'm going to give you 90 seconds. I want you to... Take a look at that person next to you because this is one of the reasons I said act like you like the person next to you. Thank you. Now I get some translucent duct tape on my face, like which, is, which is always nice. Are you kidding? Seriously? Is that going to work? Yeah, I'm like plastic, man. This is great. Oh, this is great. Wow. <laughs> if this shows up on Twitter or YouTube anywhere, I'm telling you, we need to talk. <laughs> I want you to take 90 seconds. Talk to the person next to you. If you don't have anyone next to you, find a group of twos, threes, or fours at the very minute. You get 90 seconds, and there's a reason for 90 seconds because I don't want to take too long doing this. I want, to talk to you, I want you to ask this one question. What is holding you back from pursuing Christ to your fullest? That's it. You're on the clock right now. 90 seconds. All righty. That's 90 seconds. Oh, how time flies. Moves along so quickly. I'd really be interested to hear maybe afterward, what are some of those things that are holding you back? Let me ask this, just personal reflection. Are any of the things that you came up with things that are within your control? Wow, that's pretty, that's pretty concerning. It's concerning because if it's in your control, then I just asked you first question, what is leadership? I asked you if leadership is important, you said yes. So then the question to follow that naturally might be, then how do you teach leadership? So I ask you, how do you teach leadership? Lead by example. I love that when I hear that a lot. That's definitely a way. How do you really teach leadership? I want you to really think about it. It is not a trick question. And it's mind-boggling because if we can't snap out that response, that's the state of our union. By By serving, there's a classic way. And let me tell you, so I'll expand on what Tom said as serving. 
Here's my definition. It's very simple. It's not the only definition, but I think it helps. For me, it helps young adults grasp. Give someone an opportunity to lead and fail. All within a boundary. You follow me? Okay, so let me, let me, let me kind of help you moms. And this isn't to bag on you moms because I love my moms. All right, so don't throw any bricks up here. But you know what you moms do? And this is tough. Remember when your kids were little and they were all proud? I made my bed. Mommy, look at my, I made my bed. Yeah, that's awesome, cool. Then you walk right up there and you tighten it a little bit more right in front of them, tuck it up. You know what I'm talking about? You don't mean to do that, but you do that. And you don't do it just in just the little child scenario. You do it also in the husband scenario. It's, it's kind of just let it be, right? Wait till they leave. Okay, so now every mom is like, okay, Egypt's off my Christmas list. All right? So I'm just saying, the guys will get their chance too, so just work with me on that one. So what Paul says, listen. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the, to the Lord's people. The beauty of this is, is back in the ancient Middle East, this was a day that if you wanted to know God, Yahweh, you would have to become a Jew. Not only would you have to become a Jew, you would have to subscribe to the law. Not only would you have to subscribe to the law, you would have to act, breathe, think, and behave as the Jews of that day did. Now, as a Gentile, you would never really be respected as a Jew, even though you claim to be a Jew. You're still kind of a less than Jew. You know what I'm saying? You're just not getting those kind of props or that kind of respect. But the reality is, is that Paul says, listen, that old way of thinking is out the door. I'm giving you something brand new. The mystery of Christ, guess what? It's in you. It's in you. How awesome is that? How awesome is that? I can tell you ladies something that uh, is tough for husbands. You know, I married a tomboy, and I have to deal with this all the time. But sometimes I just want to be my wife's hero. And sometimes as guys, we don't really know how to do that. We just don't. Because it goes all the way back to that young son syndrome, right? I hit the ball off the tee ball, or... You know, dad patted me on the back. Great job, tiger. Good job. Go after it, man. You know, all the cool little moments that kind of lead up. And then we have this perspective that I get to be my wife's hero. Sometimes women don't want a hero. So our conquer, chop down wood, blow up things and build things. See, that's kind of cool how God made us. We either build stuff or we blow it up. (laughs) So we'll have Tim design it. And then we'll blow it up and we'll start all over again. That's why it's cool. But Paul says, listen, your maturity in Christ matters. It's not just for super Christians. It's not just for pastors. It's not for the Bible study leaders only. It's not for the elders only. It is for every single one of you. So what's holding you back today? When you walk out of here, what's going to hold you back from truly pursuing your greatest potential? And that is to be living the life as a creature created in the image of God. You know what I never have to apologize for, and it really annoys me to know in? See, I grew up in, I grew up in East Cleveland, Ohio. 
born in 1966. I remember some very keen spots of early on. I'd say the earliest I ever remember was roughly three years old, a few episodes. But where I really have a lot of memories is like age five, age six, scrawny little guy. A few things have changed since. Let me share something with you. It was very interesting. I never saw a white-skinned person till I was about six years old. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Where were you, in Africa? No, I was in Cleveland, Ohio. Just being honest. You know what my grandmother, all four foot ten of her, used to say to me? You never judge anyone by what you think you see. She absolutely hated this dialogue about skin color. And then, of course, all the adjectives go along with that that we get so passionate about, whether we like it or not. But interesting enough, my little four foot ten grandmother ingrained this in me, ingrained this in me, and ingrained this in me, and her best friend was a Brit. Now, this is also very interesting. At age seven, I flew from the ghetto of Cleveland, Ohio, to England. How cool. Thought that was neat. I didn't get it, but I thought that was cool. I always loved the way that Brits talk and all, you know? It was just really spot on. You know, I just, I just dug that. I've always navigated toward it. I just thought it was an amazing thing. I love you. Just talk. I don't, just talk. I just want to listen to you. Oh, that's so awesome. I could go to sleep to this stuff. This is great. But my grandmother taught me a valuable life lesson that I will never forget today. And at the time, I had no embarrassment because I was just a kid. But she taught me that the different skin tones and colors of people were based on ice cream flavors. I always thought that was pretty wild. I never really got it. So, of course, I was dark chocolate boy. And that was really kind of cool. So I met this good friend of my grandmother for the first time. And she was standing far off in another, in another part of this conference room. And she said, go over there and ask that vanilla lady. If she can help you, go get a drink of water. So if you can imagine this little skinny, little dark chocolate boy come over there and I pull on this lady's bottom of her dress. Hello, vanilla lady. Can you please help me? And I go through this, this monologue, right? And she looks at me and smiles. She knew where that came from. And instead of calling my grandmother Janice, which was her name, Janice, she called her Chanice. That was the way she pronounced it, Chanice. And I always remember that. She didn't get her J, right? It was Ch- Chanice. Oh, you must be Chanice's dark chocolate boy. Yes, I'll take you on over here and da-da-da-da. Or you're a caramel latte. Oh, okay, you know, or you're a mocha frap, you know, kind of thing. It's like, you know, for me, you can take all the beautiful creations that God has created and you can put it in a bowl, but you can never separate them out because the author created those. So at no place in life, my grandmother told me early on, should I ever get into this stupid conversation that leads nowhere that I should ever apologize for the way I was born. Do you and your infinite intelligence really think I chose to be the skin color? No, seriously. I mean, this is crazy. But how cool! I mean, God didn't stop when he was tanning me. He just took that dial all the way to 10 and kind of locked it down. But that's all right. I'm like, Lord, I love you. I'm unique. I am a unique creature. When you get to the place, when you look into the mirror of grace and Paul says, when you start growing up, you not only see the differences, but you see just how much the same we really are. 
I mean, as a parent, does this not jazz you to no end when your kid thinks it up? I mean, when they think it up. I'm going to take out the trash. You're like, excuse me? Who are you and where's my kid? Right? You know, they think it up. When they think it up, there's something to be said about it because they authored this, this thing and then they carried it out. How about when you go to pick up your kids from the sitter and then the sitter's like, oh my gosh, your kids are such angels and they brag and you're just like, yeah, that's my kid. That's my kid. But then there's that rare time, hopefully it's rare, where they're like the offspring of Satan and you just like, all right, somebody's going to get beat. You know, that's just the way I roll. I'm going to replace you tonight. You on replacement witness protection. But the truth is, is when our kids think it up or take responsibility, we as people act very much the same way. And Paul knew that because he knew the influence of the day that this whole idea of humanism and this whole idea of human philosophy would somehow carry over and dominate. That somehow we would hear, you know, forgive your neighbors. Walk with them the extra mile. If your neighbor needs a coat or needs food, to offer it to them if you have it. We go up to Skid Row. We go to Africa. It's amazing what I see, some of these ministries, and I just observe. Hi, Mr. Homeless Man. I've got a hot dog here. If you'll listen to my 30-minute sermon, I'll be glad to give it to you. No, just give it to him because he's hungry. And don't worry about, oh, you wouldn't be willing, worth, worth really working. How many of you have seen it before? We'll work for food. Homeless vet, I need help. And let's just be honest for a second. Seriously, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. But just how many comments in first person come swarming through your mind? Seriously. A pure judgment. And if we're honest, we don't even know them. And for this reason, this is one of those rare reality TV shows that I'm quite amazed at. It's called Undercover Boss. Maybe some of you have heard that. And you have the guy that comes in, he's really the CEO of a multi-billion dollar corporation and he just looks like ragged trash from last week's, you know, rejects. And he's the new hire and they go through the whole dynamics and you see how people treat him. You know, once that actually happened at a company I was working at and interesting enough, I was in a, I, was, I worked for, I won't even say, I worked for a large aerospace defense contractor. And I worked in corporate payroll of all places. And I was responsible for four major sectors of the business, aircraft, you know, de- defense, uh, fluids division, and materials. And uh, roughly 23,000 employees within these four sectors. Now, being in corporate payroll, of course, I got to see what everyone made. And I always thought it was kind of cool. Let me check out the, uh, you know, the CEO. What's he making? Wow, are you for real? Whoa kind of thing, you know, corporate payroll, I kind of get that. So lo and behold, I was able to start to communicate with some of my friends within the corporation who are also fellow believers in Christ. And I would send them a little custom message in their payroll stub. It would only go to them and it would be, you know, some, sometimes it'd be like, you know, just be encouraged, you know, praying for you, da, 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 da. So one day, one day, I decided I'm going to send Joshua one colon eight and that's all i'm going to say but i made a little bit of a mistake and instead of the one person it went to all four sectors so joshua 1 8 this book of the law always keep it on your lips meditate on it day and night and be careful to do everything written in it for then you'll have success and you'll be prosperous many of you've heard that passage many times before 
So the next morning, I come in, business as usual, and I always know something's kind of up when you have the Senior Vice President of Human Resources and Security waiting at your cubicle. It's kind of a, hey, what's going on, guys? So, uh, you know, yeah, we just, just want to talk to you real quick. Let's go on downstairs. And it's kind of like, oh, okay, cool. Um, I kind of knew something was up, but I had forgotten that I had actually sent that. So they sit me down, and the first question they ask is, what is Joshua 1 colon 8? And I love the way they said that, Joshua 1 colon 8. And you know, me and, I told you I was prideful, I actually recited the passage back to them without skipping a beat. And I was like, this is cool. They must want to join my Bible study, you know, kind of thing. (laughs) That wasn't the case. So the short of it is, is that I was fired. Right there. Security's going to walk you back upstairs. Your message went out to all, of sec- all four sectors. We have senior vice presidents who are very irate. Many of them don't, you know, believe what you believe, and they just read me the riot act. Okay. So I didn't really know how to take this. It was kind of like a wow. You guys are all serious and stuff, you know. And now I have to go home and face mom and, you know, my kids, and now I'm out of work. Okay, so... I pack up my bags and I go. So lo and behold, within a week, I was given an opportunity to go to arbitration to get my job back. Now, even if I got my job back, how bizarre would that be? Talk about a hostile workplace, right? So I did go to arbitration, and it was not looking good until the final day. It was like a three-day arbitration. The first two days, bringing in witnesses, which are technically other employees, and they're just reading all the policy and da-da-da-da-da-da. So the very final day, a woman who had been in corporate payroll for something like 23, 25 years, they asked her this pointed question. How often does corporate payroll uh, consultants send out private messages to people? She's like, every day. And that was like, boom. And the end of the story is that I was awarded my position back, of course moved out of corporate payroll, (laughs) into another financial area, but it was just pretty interesting how God gave me favor through that. So I was out of work for about a week and a week and a half. And what was stressful, God gave me rest through that. But he was glorified in something that I truly, you know, I did break corporate procedure. I mean, let's just be honest. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that was the right thing to do, but it was a good thing to do. But I made a mistake. And I can't tell you where those 20,000 people, where they are today. I don't know how that's affected or not affected their lives. But Paul knew the The importance of getting truth, holding on to truth, believing truth, practicing truth, and preaching truth. One of my favorite passages in all of Scripture comes out of of, uh, Timothy, speaking of which, 2 Timothy 4.12. And I love this because it says, Before God and Christ Jesus, who's going to judge both the living and the dead, and by his kingdom, I charge you with this, preach the word. Preach the word, in season and out of season whether it's convenient or not. Rebuke, correct, encourage. Preach the word. My late grandfather taught me a valuable lesson. He said, Egypt, whatever you do, preach the word. And if you have to, open your mouth. I'll never forget that. He was as serious as a heart attack. Preach the word. And if you have to, go ahead and open your mouth which told me that my preaching had very little to do with what I'm speaking, but what I'm behaving and practicing. 
And in the same for you, I, I said early on, if you really want to find out a lot about a man, ask those people who really don't like him. You could ask his inner circle, but you'll get a jaded story. Ask the people how he deals with stress and conflict, how he deals with integrity, matters of integrity. You know, I asked a group at uh, Cal State Fullerton two years ago, and I'll never forget it because a large group of college students sitting back, and I asked this question. Let me ask you a question, just a, kind of an ethical question. Let's just say you're in business. And uh, for you ladies, you're married and you have a husband. And husbands, you, you're married, you have a, a wife. But let me ask you this. What if your spouse in their job had a component where they were responsible for selling? So their compensation is based upon, you know, commissions and productivity and selling products or services or a combination thereof of both. And they all got it. All right, we get you. We follow you. Okay. So what if your spouse attends business meetings with someone of the opposite sex on a regular basis. Is that a problem? Is that a problem? Okay, see, the wheels are spinning because some of you want to say, well, now, see, that depends. And you're right. There is a level of depends there. But I want to take a step back for a second. Hear the whole question. Regular business meetings. Morning, afternoon, and in the evening with someone of the opposite sex. And I had one young girl say to me, one young gal say to me, oh, but you know, marriages are based on trust. I said, come here for a second. You know, stop it. (laughs) No, no. You see, when you establish a boundary, the boundary isn't there to keep you in as a prisoner. The boundary is established so that you can protect, be protected. You see, the whole idea of things happen... You know that famous saying? It doesn't. You open the door to allow it. That's the deal. You see, maturity breeds maturity. Maturity isn't attracted to immaturity. Ever been around that guy, hanging out with the guys, and there's always that one, right? Sometimes we write him off as a class clown. He's not a class clown. He may be immature. Maybe that person making the same old mistakes and you're saying, oh my gosh, I just can't seem to get over that. Yeah, you can. Get over it. Just stop. But it's not that easy. Actually, it is. Your perspective is off. If you already think you're a victim, you will never overcome. Do you get that? And it's also not the other way where we walk into places and we have to have a motivational speech. For this reason, we had all these preachers and you know, charlatans cruising through town, giving these wild speeches and ah, and we getting all this stuff in our fluctuating voices. You don't talk like that in real life. I've got some friends. I, I love all the pastor friends from all over, different denominations, I tell you. I call up sometimes and I just want to have some personal time with them. I love my pastor, so can we get that straight? But there's one in particular. I kind of know what I'm going to get. I say, hey, pastor, How you doing? Here's his response. I'm blessed and highly favored. I'm the head and not the tail. So then I say, but how are you doing? I want to know how you're doing. Don't give me this cheesy Jesus biblical response because you think that's what I need to hear. 
How are you doing? Paul wanted to know exactly how you were doing. And he ends up here in the final verses here in uh, chapter 2, verse 1. He says, My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love. So it's a twofold message. To be encouraged, but to be united. We do everything in our culture and our society to divide and section. We have so much pride in our ethnicities. Really? Did we actually choose to be born this ethnicity? Did I choose to be born at this time in history? Did I choose how I'm going to be and observe in life? No, God created me as an extension of his grace. Not even my ability to speak or run or jump or or draw or whatever it is I do came from me. I didn't author it. I didn't just think it up. God thought it up and he lives that through me. I mean, until we have enough maturity to say, well, yeah, that's an interesting point. I am a child of God. Why do I spend so much time trying not to be? Why do I try spending so much time trying to be an individual? Maybe you're that person in your relationship. You just demand to be heard. Well, just say, will you listen to me? Here's what I want to say, dot, dot, dot. But Paul says, listen, I want you to be encouraged. And I want you to be united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding. And he used this word three times, mystery. It's not a mystery. That's the cool part about the mystery is that the mystery is that Christ is in you. So really, why do we come to church? It's Sunday morning. You guys could be sleeping in. You could be at the beach. You could be working for a deadline. Seriously, you ever think long and hard about why you came to church this morning? What are you looking for? Are you looking for something or are you looking to give something? I love what Tom said earlier about service. Did you know that when you serve, it is impossible to also be depressed? You you can't have those two clashing worldviews dominating the same space. Because when I'm serving someone else, it's not about me anymore. Now, at first, I'll be honest with you, we go to nursing homes or Skid Row or whatever, and the reason why I choose those places is not because I love those places, it's because those places are very uncomfortable. You know, we usually are cussed out in languages that I don't even understand. Uh, you know, the smells are horrific. The living conditions are weird. The safety is uncomfortable. It's unpredictable. But it humbles me and teaches me something about the mind of Christ. That the person that I may look at and despise and look down on and maybe even judge is the same person that was created by the same God who created me. That ought to say something about my position, about my faith. So this idea of being Mr. Prideful, boastful, arrogant guy just does not stand water. So some of you have said in the last couple of months, hey, Egypt, how are you? Let me tell you, not much has changed for me in terms of my circumstances. They're still pretty harsh. But I'm going to be honest with you. I'm at more peace right now in my life than I've ever been. I mean ever. Seriously. I even tried to get mad last week. And God was like, I ain't having that. I have you where I need you to be. And I still couldn't tell you how we're going to make it through the month, through the week, through the day. I really couldn't. But I will tell you this. I'm at more peace that God is more than just sovereign. He's truly in control, independent from me. He doesn't need my plan. He doesn't need my proposal. And he certainly doesn't need my, my you know, participation to be a part of what he's doing in my life. I hope that's your testimony when you leave here today. I want you to bow with me right now. I'm just going to ask the ushers to come forward, ask our worship team to come up.
As each one of you are bowing right now, I just want you to take a moment. I want you to think about this statement. Oftentimes we hear these anecdotes and we've heard them seven ways from Sunday in different varieties, but we hear that God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. So what is the actual right question in response to that? And it might go like this. Who does God call? Well, he calls you, he calls me. As our worship team starts to play here, what I'm going to ask you to do is really ponder on the question of what is holding you back and what would it take for you to pursue Christ with everything you've got? Some of you have been running in circles. You've been mesmerized by your life's circumstances. You've got maybe excuses that have become a worldview, and that's a competing worldview with Christ being adequate, Him being sufficient, Him being all. Well, today's a new day. While every head is bowed right now and every eye is closed, unless the basket is coming in front of you, just really think about this question. What would it take for me to pursue God with everything. What's holding me back? Now, as you start to fill in some of those blanks and you find out that you're responsible and you have control over the things that are holding you back, would you just confess those things? Simply confession is agreeing with God that His law is perfect and right and just. And that we're not. Come into agreement with Him. Give him control of your life. Is it scary? Yeah, sure, when you're on your own. But is it? Not at all. When he's in control and you submit and surrender to that, there's nothing else that matters. Some of you are struggling in your marriages and it's easy to sit here in a controlled environment and feel somewhat like uh, it's a reprieve, but the reality is when you walk up out of here, you're still going to walk out with the anger and the, maybe the unforgiveness. Maybe you screwed up in some way or you made some mistakes and you just don't know how to reconcile that. Well, God reconciles. The question is, is what part of your life does, do you allow Him to reconcile? Holy Spirit, we invite you into this place. We thank you. We pray that you are glorified here in this day. Let not a single soul walk out of here the same way they walked in. It's so easy to put on a smile and just tell others that we're doing good and we keep walking, hoping that no one would ask us that one question that we really don't want to be asked. I pray that your spirit of unity, encouragement, and maturity would be in us so that we would grow up not just in our behavior, but in discipling and mentoring others, Lord God. None of us has been given a life for ourselves, but to glorify you. Have your way in us. Have your way in us. Have your way in us. Ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen.